This week's Game of Thrones rewatch is just 60 seconds away. But before that, I want to take a moment and thank our sponsors for this episode of the podcast. Those are friends over at True Car because they've got some useful tips for you you might not be aware of. Do you know a coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior of your car? I think it's probably also good for a knight's armor as well. You could also remove some extra weight from your car to improve the gas mileage. That's also going to work with a horse-drawn carriage like you might see on Game of Thrones. You can also place your keychain remote right under your chin, and that's going to increase the range. They don't have anything like that on Game of Thrones. But here's another tip that you might not know about. True Car also helps people get a used car as well. That's right. True Car is not just for buying a new car. With the Certified Dealer Network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience whether you buy new or used. And with True Car, users can see what other people paid so they know if they're getting a good deal before buying. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with a True Car certified dealer. So when you're ready to buy that new or used car, visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. Winter was here, but we're just getting started on our Game of Thrones full series rewatch. And now, here are the two guys who love mutton. I'm Rob Sister, and here's Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I never pass on mutton. A good MLT. Oh my gosh, that's MLT. that's the yeah. Get it from Miracle Max's. That's the place you wanna you wanna get it from. I don't know what Tywin's been eating. But I love me some mutton. He probably just not has not had it prepared well. That would be, or that's the problem is just prepared like too well, like too over well, well done, too yeah. well done. All right, well here we are, ready to talk about episode seven of season two, a man without honor and, and Jervis. Uh, yes, we can see off in the distance the season two finale. If you can believe it, we are seventy percent of the way there here. In our rewatch of Game of Thrones after a week off, Josh, how are you recuperated? I'm doing really well, but clearly I need to get back in the saddle because I was just about to drop a major spoiler about what we can see in the distance as we are getting closer to the end here of season two. So I just nope. got to get back in the groove. Got to get okay. back in the groove. The spoilers are for the spoiler section only. Yeah, that's it. This That's is our spoiler-free recap of the episode. We will remind you of what went down in this episode without spoiling anything to come here in the opening of this show. And then, of course, we'll get into everything spoiler-free here on our Game of Thrones rewatch. You can subscribe to the podcast, postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes, and we'll have a new Game of Thrones rewatch episode for you guys every Wednesday, Westeros Wednesday it is here in 2018. Uh, although, Josh, we did get some news over the break that Game of Thrones, as you had speculated, will not be back until 2019. Yeah, which, you know, all but confirms that this podcast. So January will be 1st, done. 2019 is the <laughs> when Game of Thrones is going to be back, right? No, no, no. We can hope. We can dream. December 31st, 2019. Could we sign up for that? I would bet that it's somewhere between those two dates. Uh, the question is where. Yeah. The question is where. We're playing your flag. Uh, What's the Game of Thrones release date in 2019? My feeling is if six I'm. Episodes. If I'm if I'm HBO and I've got six episodes of Game of Thrones to launch and no more Game of Thrones after that, and it's already going to have been oh, well over a year, almost a year and a half at the earliest by the time 
Game of Thrones is returning since the most recent season. I think that you it's just it's hard to pass the opportunity for, you know, the final season branding of, you know, winter was here, winter is coming, all of that. The thing that you're hearing all series long, I feel like it's going to be a winter release for the final season of Game of Thrones. I'm betting it's going to be March 2019. March 20. So you feel like that they baked that in? I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think that that's probably around there. I, I would guess maybe even April to try to get closer to uh, that's May. That's the classic, right? That's yeah. the classic date. That's when it usually comes that's out. That's classic. Uh, uh. I, I think that's also around the cutoff for Emmy consideration. I don't think you want to start much later than May. So, like, I think if they aired the show, say, like June 1st, you get into sort of the summertime doldrums, and I think you're out of consideration for those uh, Emmys for that calendar year. So I feel like that the springtime seems like the landing spot for that springtime 2019. The King's landing spot. Yes. Okay. So, Josh, here we are. Let's talk about what's going on in Winterfell. And uh, a man without honor, presumably, we are talking about Theon a lot. The episode opens and closes on the antics of one Theon Greyjoy in Winterfell. And we see that he wakes up after his tryst with Osha and realizes, oh, no, she's not there. Neither are Bran or Rickon or even Hodor. And uh, there is hell to pay. Yeah, there are there are beatings to deliver in response to this news. This is amazing that Theon comes outside and like finds out about what has happened, that Bran is gone, that Osha is gone, that quote unquote, the giant is gone and mm-hmm. Rickon is gone as well. And uh, some one of his guys, one of his underlings gives him a little bit of sass. I guess the Iron Islanders still are not fully respecting Theon Greyjoy's authority, respect his authority. And Theon uh, responds by punching this guy in the face at yeah. first and there's just this amazing moment where Alfie Allen is like shaking his hand out as if this is like the first time Theon has ever thrown a punch uh, it's just it's it's classic I think it really speaks that physicality speaks to sort of just like the overall cowardice of Theon Greyjoy a man who is truly lost according to the late Sir Roger Kessel Now, Theon is going to go and bring out a search party to ultimately try to find Bran and Rickon. Maester Lewin is sort of along for the ride. I thought that uh, Maester Lewin was a little passive aggressive with Theon, where Theon asked Maester Lewin, are you enjoying the hunt? He's like, well, it's a little more of a ride than a hunt right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Hunting, it seems a little similar to riding. Uh, (laughs) See, I I read it differently. I read it more as Maester Lewin is a big horseback riding fan and was feeling wounded that nobody had ever taken him out on a hunt before it's like you guys know how much i love riding mm-hmm. i would have loved hunts this seems great yeah and we are going to then see the perspective of bran and rickon and Osha and hodor as they walk around eating walnuts rickon loves walnuts the kid can't get enough of the walnuts a huge uh, crowd pleaser for uh, all the five and six year olds they love walnuts and, so, and it's very it's very exciting, too, that we're finally at that moment in the story, because, like, you know, there's like Ned Stark's death and Rickon loves walnuts are like kind of two of the big spoilers yeah, of Game of Thrones. And we thing. didn't tip we didn't tip that off at all uh, all along the way. So I'm patting you on the back, Rob. Uh, great job there. Uh, very big surprise. Rickon loves walnuts. Yeah, he really does. And so we end up seeing that group trying to 
find a place to hide. And there were a couple of orphans that Bran had sent away to a nearby farm. And they end up coming across that farm. And so they say, hey, this looks like a good place for us to hide out. Yeah, Jack and Billy are their names. Jack and let Billy. Us, let us uh, let us be clear about that. So, yeah, so Rickon, Bran, Hodor, and Osha are standing outside of this farm with walnuts in hand, at least for Rickon. Uh, and Theon and his party are going to come along this place not too terribly long after. And we don't quite know where Bran and, and everybody are hiding at this point. But unfortunately seems like they've found some uh, some walnut shells. That does not seem like a good omen. Yes, Maester Lewin, very sad at Theon's reveal at the end of the episode. But uh, a lot more going on here in this episode. Uh, we spent a lot of time with uh, Jon Snow and Ygritte. Yes, we spent a lot of time with Jon and Ygritte. And like 90% of what happens in that storyline, I don't necessarily feel comfortable doing a deep dive on on a podcast that will be hosted by my fine employers at The Hollywood Reporter. Yeah, so... So I don't really know what to do. <laughs> yeah, look, Ygritte uh, is uh, really messing with John, and she is uh, quite comfortable in the fact that she thinks that John likes her, and she's calling out that the hypocrisy of his oath and uh, like, hey, if you like me, like, hey, why, why, why can't we be together? And John says, no, I have to be a night's watchman. And it's like, well, that's not how we do it up here beyond the wall. Yeah, we do things differently beyond the wall is what Ygritte is saying. And it really does seem like it's hard to say, you know, is she is she putting him on? Is she trying to trick him? Is she trying to lure John into the spot that we see him in by the end of the episode, by the end of his storyline in this episode where he's going to be surrounded by wildlings? Or is she, you know, trying to recruit him like it, at, at times it kind of feels like it could go either way. There's a great chemistry, a great dynamic, obviously, that has been established between these two characters here uh their banter while vulgar at points is also really really fun like even Jon snow is like trying not to laugh at one point when he is doing her impression of like what she's going to tell the old crows whenever john brings her to them and john's just like stop that just stop like it seems oh, like even you're so annoying <laughs> yeah, it's great. So this is like a great little road show that's been going on with John and E. Grit. But uh, it seems as though the tables have turned. And by the end of it, E. Grit has once again escaped from John's custody like she did the very first time that they met. Except this time she gets the upper hand. She leads John to an area where there are tons of wildlings and he is surrounded by the end of the episode. And that's got to be trouble for Lord Snow. Do you feel like that neither Jon Snow nor Ygritte ever had to use the restroom during their adventure? Hmm. Good question. Um, well, if so, I guess they could always do it like the Jamie Lannister way, based on what Jamie was talking about <laughs> later on in the episode. Yeah, because uh, I don't know if the Ygritte seduction plays as well, but uh, that's yeah, a uh, yeah. it's a, a question. If I, we ever run into George R. R. Martin or if I ever get to that, I'll, I'll, I'll or maybe that's no, a, a Benioff yeah, and Weiss. 
let's definitely burn a question on that. That yeah, seems I'll, like uh, I'll open with that. <laughs> that seems like the right place to. Yeah, that's the right question to ask. Burning question for sure. Yeah. Hopefully not burning question. Yeah. Call Doctor Mike. Now, ultimately, we see Ygritte runs off from Jon Snow and she ends up, uh, I guess, did she know where the wildlings were hidden? She knew like where, the, where, where exactly to run to? Yeah, I think that that's the question. I would be inclined to think so, right? I mean, she knows like the, she knows the realm beyond the wall. Uh, she knows this area. This is her turf. This is her, uh, you know, this is her place. And John, uh, it's you know, she keeps saying like, are, "How close are we to the to your brothers in black? Like, do we know where we're going?" And he's kind of like, uh, "It's like any any minute now, we'll be there soon." And it feels like he's probably lost. It feels like he doesn't really know exactly where he is. So it would make a lot of sense that she would be able to kind of uh, passively lead him towards where she wants to go. Uh, so that would be my bet. Okay. As we mentioned in the open, uh, we see a fine plate of mutton served by Arya Stark to Tywin Lannister over at Harrenhal. Hmm. I mean, honestly, uh, who doesn't like mutton? I mean, if you're, you it know, if you're good. A, if you're not a meat eater, that's totally okay. Like if you're a vegetarian or you're a vegan, like I'm t- totally acceptable, completely 100. percent But mm-hmm. like, if you are, you know, if you eat meat, like you know, try mutton. Broaden your horizons. It's not bad. Yeah. Okay, so we get to see some uh, interesting exchanges between Tywin and Arya. And even my wife, Josh, by the end of the scene, she said, how does Tywin not know that this is Arya Stark after this? You know, there are moments where it feels like maybe he does, right? Like there are moments where like, you know, he is telling her to to eat and you should probably eat all of this because clearly you're so hungry. And like, could that be Tywin Lannister knows that this is Arya Stark and is trying to keep her, um, you know, happy and safe because that's like the smart way to treat potentially like a volatile prisoner like this. And he even gets into the whole my lord versus my lord debate. Um, and says you're too smart for your own good. Uh, but she like very like defiantly says that my mom served Lady Dustin and my father was a stonemason. Like, don't challenge me on any of this. And Tywin seems to accept that. Uh, so, yeah, feels like Tywin doesn't know that this is Arya Stark. Feels like a little bit of a whiff for a guy who is uh, considered one of the master strategists in Westeros. Or should I say master tactician? I don't want to be scolded by Tyrion Lannister. Mm-hmm. I think it's really cool, uh, by the way, that we uh, that we get this backstory on Harrenhal because Harrenhal is where so much of the uh, the Arya story has taken place so far in season two. But we don't really understand like why this is such like a, a ruined, cursed place until we get that backstory from Tywin, which is uh, assisted by Arya, where she's talking about the story of the three Targaryens who mm-hmm. came and burned this place down with dragon fire really cool passage about that in the world of ice and fire the uh the gigantic game of thrones a song of ice and fire encyclopedia uh in universe encyclopedia that i mentioned from time to time not because i see any money off of the thing just because it is nobody was accusing you super 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 cool i swear i i i'm i'm out here trying to sell that book because that book is so good and everybody should have it uh but there's a really cool chapter on the destruction of Harren hall and just kind of the whole Targaryen conquest in general. Yeah, the exterior of Harrenhal that we get in this episode, it seems to me really a lot more detailed than the one we saw in when they first came up to Harrenhal, where you really get that Harrenhal looks like it is melting. 
Yeah. Oh, it's just so neat. And 35 halls. Really? Come yeah. on, hair in the black. That <laughs> seems excessive. 35 halls. Very garish. Very, very garish indeed. Mm-hmm. Very garish. Very excessive. Okay. So let's talk about what's going on in King's Landing. And we see a few different moments, uh, important moments in the life of one Sansa Stark. And uh, we have uh, reached a point where Sansa Stark is now officially a woman, Josh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And she's not she's not happy about what's what's going on here. Uh, and neither is Shay like Shay, who, you know, gets bagged on a lot, I think gets uh, gets made fun of a lot. Now, you know, we've we've had our share uh, here on this podcast, but just in the fandom, I think is kind of sometimes considered a maligned character. Uh, she's really trying to help Sansa out here as one of these uh, other handmaidens shows up and looks like she's just about to go narc directly to Cersei and Shay, who is really going to help out Sansa here because as Sansa points out, if the queen finds out that this has happened, then I'm going to be able to have Joffrey's children. And she does not want that to happen. She wants to keep that away, keep that out of the, the realm of possibility for a long time. So Shay is on board with helping her fix that situation. And then she hits the road and tries to, to, quiet this handmaiden with a knife mm-hmm. uh, to stop her from talking and maybe that would have worked but it kind of doesn't matter because when she comes back the hound is there and you're not going to intimidate the hound the hound sees this and the hound has a job to do and the hound is going to clearly report this back to Cersei as Cersei and Sansa are going to have a conversation about these new developments in Sansa's life Yeah, and we have this really great scene with Sansa and Cersei talking about what's going on and that's such an interesting relationship to me the Sansa and Cersei relationship and Sansa is really keeping up this facade that oh I really I love the king the king is the best I can't wait to have his children and Cersei knows that she's like lying through her teeth. He's like, okay, little dove. Okay, well, 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 sure, we'll go with that. Yeah, I, I think that there's a there's a lot of great moments with Cersei in this episode about her relationship with Joffrey and like her, you know, obviously she loves her child, but she also understands her child like she knows who her son is and in this moment with sansa when when sansa sings shouldn't i love joffrey like shouldn't i love more than just my children shouldn't i love joffrey as well and she says you can try little dove is a great line and then cersei has her very vulnerable moment with uh with Tyrion a little while later where she's basically talking about how uh, this must be my curse you know this is the curse i get for for sinning for uh having these children with Jamie, uh, which is interesting in its own right that she seems to be talking about it really openly with Tyrion, who is somebody that she hates. She loathes Tyrion. Uh, so she's clearly at a, in a very vulnerable moment here in this episode. Yeah. Also in the episode, uh, we see a lot of stuff going on on the battlefront of the Stark forces, Josh. And uh, we are going to see Rob Stark, he's finishing up some uh, planning sessions and uh, here's old Talissa comes back and she's got a supply order. She has a supply order. She wants some stuff. She needs some fennel bulbs. Mm hmm. Yeah. Fennel would be nice. Right. Some milk of the poppy, obviously. Right. Anybody, I guess, is allowed to just walk into Rob Stark's tent willy nilly and put in their shopping list. 
Willis Nilly. Uh, nobody, nobody seems pleased about this. Like, you know, Rob is having a meeting when this happens and like you see like a bunch of people kind of like turning their heads. Bruce Bolton kind of like gives them a really long look of like, come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but yeah, you know, she's she's here. She's in here. She is. Uh, you know, she feels like she has that kind of uh, friendship at least with Rob Stark, where she can, you know, kind of forwardly talk to him like this. And Rob, who has already been given the dressing down by his mother not terribly long ago in a, in a previous episode of you have an oath, you have, a, you know, you have a pact, you have to be married to one of Walter Frey's daughters. Uh, and Rob's like, I get it. I get it. I know. I know. I know. He's not really helping his own case out nope. here where. He's not only indulging uh, Talisa, but he's also inviting her along to his next assignment. He is to riding the crag. to the, the aggro crag. Yes. <laughs> a, a, They're going to climb glow, it? Yeah, get a glowing piece of the rock. Let's go to Mo at the leaderboard. Mo! All <laughs> right, Mike. Uh, yeah, so he's going to the crag, and he is bringing Talisa to the crag as well. And uh, do, 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 do they have it? We will have to see in a future episode of Game of Thrones. Is that a great first date to take a person, uh, take your field medic to the crag to go shopping for Milk of the Poppy? To the aggro crag? Yes. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Considering that it doesn't exist anymore, that means you've got a time machine. You'd be able to go back to the 1990s and you'd get to go and check out uh, a glowing piece of the rock, potentially get one yourself. That seems like quite possibly the best first date ever. Yeah. And so it is uh, during this time period that Rob Stark goes off to the crag with Talissa to go shopping for supplies. Uh, All hell is breaking loose uh, to some degree back at the Stark camp because uh, we have this uh, Lannister cousin that was sent. Yeah, Alton. Uh, not with Uriolan, uh, that he was sent off to go and talk to Cersei and then bring a note from Rob Stark. And she ripped it up and we said, okay, we need a new prison cell for Alton. Uh, we don't have any more. We have too many prisoners. So throw him in with Jamie Lannister. And we get this really great scene with Jamie Lannister and Alton. And it looks like they're really hitting it off. You know, this is so great because, uh, you know, there's a lot about Game of Thrones that I frankly forget you know they're just little moments there's tiny moments there are smaller scenes and storylines where uh the fallout of how these things are going to play out sometimes like this is a bit of a discovery for me in in the rewatch which is an exciting um you know side effect and uh, an exciting you know an exciting benefit of going back and watching this material but i gotta say that this whole alton and jamie scene um i i'd completely forgotten about and i'm i'm watching this scene as he's talking to jamie about how uh this was the you know this was the best day of my life when i squired for you and jamie's like you're you were a great squire you were fantastic a phenomenal squire better squire than i ever was and really validating this kid's best day ever and i'm sitting here and i'm thinking man this is a great scene this was a great character what happened to this character (laughs) i know that he's got to be dead because he's not on the show anymore but like how does it happen and how am i gonna like come on to the podcast here and like talk about like i forgot the future of this character alton lannister and as soon as i'm having those thoughts jamie decides to just bash the poor kid's brains in so that solves that problem uh but it's a it's a great scene it's a really good scene it's really fun to hear jamie lannister talk about his days as a squire mm-hmm. as well and nerding out about uh about squiring for barristan selmy the painter of red mm-hmm 
Yeah, the whole conversation is really great. And then up at the end when, you know, Jamie Lannister says when Alton's like, well, whatever I can do. He's like, well, there is one thing that you can do for me. He's like, oh, what is it? He's like, you have to die. And Alton is not like, no, 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 no. He's like, oh, wait, oh, wait. I saw, so I have to die. Okay. Uh, yeah, tell me like more. Give, it's like if you'd give him like even like a minute or two to like get to peace with it and be like, no, I'll do this for you, Jamie. Like, this is what you need mm-hmm. me to do. Like, I'm your squire. If that's what it, if that's what it takes, I'll do it. Like, you almost believe that he would have gotten to that point instead of just having like this sudden brutality inflicted upon him. Right. Uh, and, you know, J- Jamie, did you have to do that? Did you have I mean, maybe, you know, like in order to do the escape, well, he gets recaptured again. by a couple hours later so uh really was uh all for naught for poor alton gotta take the risk you know you gotta risk it to something or other is what i've heard and uh <laughs> westeros nail uh has said right. something to that effect but i think for for jamie did he have to just like outright tell the poor kid like you're gonna have to die and then give him even five seconds to process that information rather than couldn't he have just like i don't know just done it and like mm. give the guy no time like wouldn't that have even been more humane i don't know maybe he needed whole- to help him process it because if he's walking around the afterlife why why did my best friend cousin jamie lannister do this to me <laughs> i don't understand what happened to me he's like oh okay well i had to die okay well now, yeah. now it was a worthy sacrifice that i had to give up my life so that my greater cousin can end up uh, going on and having something to do but if anybody says to me about their plan and they say oh, the only thing is you have to die instantly like nope Nope. Yeah, I'm out on the plan. No, I'm thank you. Sorry, nope. that's that's not something I'm into. I don't I'm feel out. like that's, that's necessary. We can we can come up with something else. Yeah. Uh, you know what is also great uh, is the is the moment where Alton is starting to tell Jamie the story of how they met and how he squired for him at Willem Frey's wedding, and Jamie goes, "I was at Willem Frey's wedding." Yeah, it came back <laughs> to him though. He remembered it. Yeah, yeah. He started to figure out. Yeah, yeah. He when he threw up on poor, a horse. Yeah, yeah. Brian Lannister, that that <laughs> poor that poor guy, just getting drunk and puking everywhere. Yeah. And so uh, Jamie Lannister, then he chokes out one of the guards, which we will learn is a car Stark. And then he escapes uh, this whole time while Rob is at the crag. And then they end up bringing him back. And now here comes Lord Car Stark, and he wants vengeance that Jamie Lannister killed his kid. He should get to kill Jamie Lannister. And Cat Stark has to shut this all down because his what is this how you act when your king isn't around and uh, it's just all around just a bad look for Rob Stark. It's very bad. And I mean, you know, I understand Rob Stark wants to be humane. He wants to be as close to a decent person as he possibly a can. guy, sure. He wants to be a decent guy for sure. And he, you know, he's gonna, you know, he wants Talos to, to be able to medicate and attend to all of the people, even his enemies, because that's the humane thing to do. So he wants this poor kid, Alton Lannister, we very nearly just called Alton Brown, uh, to, you know, have like a comfortable place to, to stay. Uh, you know, doesn't want him to just like be like kind of like, you know, languishing in like the worst possible place and like even then like car stark is kind of rolling his eyes like you're gonna you're gonna leave him with jamie lannister like that seems like a ridiculous thing to do so clearly car stark's not gonna be thrilled about that that has directly resulted in the death of car stark's son rob himself isn't here to manage this at all 
Catelyn is here. Uh, you know, his mother is here to be the peacemaker, but people aren't really respecting her here. She's got Brienne of Tarth as her one and only muscle, really the only mm-hmm. person who is fiercely loyal to Catelyn. Uh, and nobody knows her. Nobody respects her. So it's a tenuous situation at best. And clearly, uh, Catelyn feels like uh, desperate times are going to call for immediate measures. Okay. Well, once Rob Stark gets back, I'm sure he can handle all of this. And so we'll see what happens in, in our next episode. Josh, uh, there's uh, only one other place to go in this episode, and that's what's happening <sighs> in the East over in Karth. Love me some Karth. Yeah, big shakeup with the 13 and... We see Zaro has now declared himself king of Karth. We see the warlocks have admitted that they have the dragons and assassinated 11 of the 13. Big shakeup. Yeah, big shakeup. Uh, we see too much of the warlocks. We see we see so much warlock. We see like a thousand warlocks. Yeah, uh, they all have. Uh, they all they're all surrounding the thirteen. R.I.P. Spice King. I'm gonna miss him more than I realized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Spice King is is done. Yeah, Spice King is done. All of these people are done. Double XD is uh, is large and in charge. And uh, this comes like right after, you know, Pyat Pri has like just admitted to, to taking the dragons. The yeah. dragons are at the House of the Undying. You really got to come. Like he'd invited Danny to the House of the Undying a little while earlier, you know, a couple episodes ago. And if she had just accepted that blue raspberry mouthed guy's invitation back then, maybe this all could have been averted. Yeah. And then. He's like trying to uh, really guilt trip Danny uh, like, hey, what are you doing? A mother should be with her children. It's like, who are you? You you took them. You took my kids. Like, what is this? Uh, And I think it's funny, too, because like Zarazo and Doxo is like uh, just a couple of scenes earlier had been like, if if, if anyone finds out that I'm a liar, I'm going to be worth nothing uh, as he's lying straight to Daenerys's face. In that moment. Yeah, but he's the king of Karth good. now. That's, you know, that's something. Oh, yeah. Well, kings aren't supposed to lie, Rob. You know, leaders are supposed to be truthful at all times. King in the east. King in the yeah. east. Yeah. Yeah. For Karth to change, uh, you know, these people need to die. It can't remain the greatest city that ever was if it won't change. So big change in the status quo here at Karth. Uh, and who knows? Who knows where it's going to go? Also, uh, Jorah hanging out with uh, with yeah. Mask Lady again with with Quaith mm-hmm. uh, doing some back tattoos. That's an interesting look. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sure uh, we'll get into that a little bit more in detail, just like she did to that guy's lower back. Yes, fill in the deets. Okay. All right, Josh. Anything else before the spoilers? No, I think uh, we can get into it. You know, this is a fine episode of season two. It's a season two episode, so I've got it. Uh, I've got it. I think a third from the bottom of my overall rankings right now. This past episode, like there was things that happened. I think the Jamie Lannister stuff is is really compelling. Uh, the Theon scenes are tough to watch. The Karth stuff will just always drag these episodes down a little mm-hmm. bit for me. Okay, here we go. Spoil away. Should we do one for every member of the 13 that died in this episode? No, God. No, no, stop. Oh, oh my gosh. 
Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> oh God. Are we just like making oh God right, Alton. Yeah. Kill it with fire. Kill it with fire. Kill it with wildfire. That was what I was gonna say at the top of the podcast was yeah, I could almost see the wildfire from the Blackwater Bay from here, but like that's an out and out spoiler of something that's two episodes away. So there yeah. you go. Too yeah. much. Too much too going much. on. Okay. Too much. So, Josh, where do you want to pick things up uh, with our spoiler conversation? What really stood out to you on this rewatch? I don't know. I mean, we're here in Karth right now, so I think we could just we could quickly talk some Karth stuff. Uh, it's interesting that Jorah Mormont has this conversation with Quaith, who is the masked woman who we speculated about uh, a few episodes ago. Is this who, it for Quaith? I think so. I'm pretty sure if she's back in the show. She's got shy. me one more scene i think at most yeah uh, uh so yeah i think that this is basically it for for quaith if not entirely it uh and uh, she's going to be giving this tattoo to a guy who is going to be passing through old valyria it's the only way to mm-hmm. safely pass and of course we know if we've you know watched through uh through seven seasons of game of thrones that jorah mormont himself at a certain point is going to make it to old valyria and he is not going to safely pass. He's going to come down with grayscale after he encounters one of the stone men there. And that's fascinating to me because this wasn't something you could spoil from the book. Jorah Mormont doesn't contract grayscale in uh, in the novels in, in A Song of Ice and Fire. That happens to a different character that that story material got saddled on to Jorah Mormont for the show. So it makes me wonder, is this just a kind of a happy coincidence or is there like any way that they knew that they, like, they were going to do this storyline with Jorah instead of the character that they have completely excised from uh, from Game of Thrones completely. Um, kind of fascinating. And yes, by the way, this is Quaith's final appearance. Okay. Now, are you buying that these Quaith back tattoos work at warding off the Stone Man? If Jorah would have gotten on the table and said, okay, me next, and then gotten all of his uh, back and lower back tattooed up, when he rides off into Valyria and the stone man lunatics are all jumping around and he rips his shirt off and says, look at my tramp stamp. Oh my God. Would that have saved him? Is a shy stamp. I don't know. I don't know if it would have saved him. Um, It certainly would have been like if it hadn't saved him and he still goes forward and Samuel Tarly is going to like chip off all of the grayscale one strip at a time. Would his tattoos still be there afterwards? Yeah. What would be more painful having the tattoo removed or the grayscale removed? I feel like the grayscale being removed. It feels to me like that's going to be hard to top. Mm -hmm. Uh, you yeah. know, I know like, you know, thing like your imagination is worse than reality often. And we never saw a tattoo removal scene here on Game of Thrones. I guess that would also be very difficult because they don't have the laser technology. So that would probably be very painful as well. But yeah. it's just hard to imagine anything more painful than Jorah losing that grayscale flesh. It was yeah. so, so rancid. So gross. Too bad Sam couldn't have figured out the cure when he just had like a little like quarter of it on his arm. Yeah, that would have been nice, but they didn't know each other yet. Yeah, yeah. Can we then go back to Jorah with Danny when uh, they're learning about everything that went on, the massacre that occurred where she's saying, "Okay, and where where were you, Jorah? He's like, well, I was off looking for a ship. 
And then she's yeah. like, well, did we get one? She doesn't even have, there's no follow-up question. There's no follow-up question. I also was, as I was watching the episode, I was kind of wondering, like, are they trying to set it up so that the viewer thinks Jorah could be a culprit? Never. That Jorah, that Jorah could be, you know, involved in, um, in the, the, the theft of the dragons. And then the inside of the very same episode, they so decisively answer it. So it's it's stuff like that that really bothers me about. I know I'm I'm harping on it so much. Sons of the harping on it. But the the Karth storyline is just it's so sloppy. Like that's just such sloppy plotting of like, you know, planting these red herrings that are going to be like answered in such an unceremonious way. Just like 10 minutes later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I hate the storyline. I really, really do. Is that clear yet? Yeah. That's what's going on in the East. All right, let's go back to Theon and everything going on in the North. And Josh, I thought this was a really interesting. That Me too. Theon ends up being the person who brings out the hounds to go and look for Bran and Rickon. Are these the yeah, same hounds yeah. that will torment him and others uh, from when we get to Ramsay being at Winterfell? I doubt that. I think that uh, Ramsey Bolton's Ramsey's dogs are uh, are very very special. They are of a certain type. I don't think that these are quite the same. So he but... has his own hounds that he brings in. I mean, like when Sansa and Theon are being chased in the season six premiere. These are different. Those are different dogs. I think that's Ramsey's pack. You know, okay. that's his crew. That's his posse. Uh, yeah, I think that. Uh, I just think that it's it's great. Um, you know, it's very it's very ironic that we have so many of these scenes with Theon in this episode. Uh, you know, at first it's like the second scene of the episode, and immediately I'm like, oh, this is so great, knowing what happens to Theon, knowing that he's going to be hunted, knowing that he is going to be on the complete opposite end of this very soon, and him talking to to Maester Lewin. Who does look so grim and he says, come on, Maester, don't look so grim. It's all just a game. And he says it with kind of glee almost like there's sort of like this like wild mania to to Theon at this point. Uh, And that's that's so great knowing that like that's the exact attitude of Ramsey Bolton. So this is going to be turned around on Theon very, very soon. But then. There is like an even more specific shot into the future, right? Mm -hmm. Like There's the other thing that he says. Yeah, Theon is going to get called out by Maester Lewin a little bit of like, Theon, you look, you don't have to go through with this. All right, like uh, everything is going to be fine. Yeah, everything is going to be fine. And Theon is like having like a panic where he's like, are you kidding me? Like, if I don't pull this off, well, I'm going to be looked at by everybody for the rest of my life being treated like a fool and a eunuch. A eunuch, right. I mean, what are the chances that that's the term that he came up with? Wow. Well, the chances are that David Benioff and Dan Weiss had already read uh, A Dance of Dragons and had surmised what had happened to Theon. Also, they have direct access to George R. R. Martin. So, there's, <laughs> yeah. so they're setting they're setting that up. You know, they're setting it up really well. Uh, and that's it's just amazing. I think I think that the way this is why I appreciate the Theon Greyjoy arc, even though he is just like a scumbag character. Uh, certainly in the early going, uh, it's just I think it's it's really deftly uh, crafted. I think that uh, there's a lot that we've been able to like go back and look at, and like you can see. 
the chickens come home to to roost uh, or roost if you prefer. Uh, and I, I just think that's great. I think it's really great. Um, and of course, here is where we're gonna we're gonna see the walnuts in the haystack. Uh, and, but the, but the two kids at the end of the episode are clearly not Brandon Rickon. So, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Are these red walnuts? Like, are these, uh, should we not, uh, uh, should we, should we not be, uh, you know, looking into that too much? I don't remember exactly how that part plays. Yeah. I feel like that we did not do a good job for the spoiler people of selling that Brandon Rickon might be dead. I think if you were like, listen, just watch the episode and then listen to us and then turned it off. Like, I don't think that the Brandon and Rickon are dead. They didn't act like Brandon and Rickon are dead. <laughs> we really Should we go back? Do we no, go back? No, no. I mean, what do we do? We're, we're trying to trick yeah, people yeah, like, yeah. oh, they might yeah. be dead. Like, uh, yeah, I feel like you're better I, off. It's like, we I, really like, uh, you know, hung a lantern on it and they really say, oh, well, you, now you ruined it for me. But let them know, figure it out. They can put it yeah, together, sure. put two and two Let's, together. This- the spoiler-free section is going to die the death in just uh, you know about uh, thirteen episodes from now, so we won't have to worry about these problems ever again. Okay, but poor Jack and Billy, though, you know. Yeah, sure. poor Jack and Billy. Yeah, that we know Jack and Billy, we barely knew you. Um, so l- l- let's talk about uh, some of the stuff going on with the Stark camp and uh, the Riverlands because uh, there's uh, a lot of uh, interesting nuggets there to dig into. Of course, uh, we mentioned uh, Alton Lannister. Uh, having his untimely end, but this is really going to be the beginning of the end. I know we've said this a couple of times, but this is really where we say, look, there's the point of no return with Rob Stark, but this is going to uh, now things are going absolutely terrible for this. This is like the beginning of the terrible things that are happening to the Starks. Yeah. And this is Rob Stark and his army. And this is another great um, another storyline that is just being set up so masterfully, Uh, like any time that the participants of the Red Wedding are in the same room together or the same space together. It's so loaded knowing where it's going. And that look that Roose Bolton gives to Robin Talos, like knowing that he's not going to directly kill her, but he will directly kill him and he will indirectly kill her by the pact that he is helping to uh, to forge here with the Lannisters in the phrase that he is a participant in uh so just everything that's going on with that storyline is great also seeing um you know richard madden as rob stark again uh after all these seasons that he has uh, you know since he's been on the show he really plays this character with such earnestness and like you really do believe that he does have that ned stark quality of just kind of wanting to do the right thing Although he's also like impulsive in that Catelyn Stark way, uh, where he is uh, going to follow his heart and it's going to be to his detriment. So just the whole tragedy of it that's being set up here is just absolutely brutal. Um, and of course, now that we are in the spoiler section, there will unfortunately be no trip to the aggro crack. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Too bad. we will see. We will. We will. Unfortunately, at some point in the future, watch uh, Talisa die via knife wound to the guts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we have some great stuff between Jamie and Cat Stark, where she has a confrontation with him, and he ends up playing the Jon Snow card, and he is really trying to push her button. I think hoping that she will just say, "Hey, kill this guy." I, I, you know, I want him to uh, be out of the picture more so than anything else. Right. Do you think is that fair to say? Is he hoping for the honorable death? 
I think what he's hoping for is just like the let's get it over with death. Like, yeah, you know, pull he, me out of my he, misery. Yeah. Like as he as he says, which was such a great line where he's like, I don't know if this is going to come as a shock, but imprisonment, not really something that I'm great at. Uh, just like I, I love that kind of like, uh, you know, that spoiled brat Jamie Lannister coming out in that moment in such a matter of fact way when he's talking to his cousin. Uh, but, yeah, I think he's just he's trying to get it done. I don't think that he has any uh, sense in his mind that he is going to be. Uh, able to survive the night given just the heat of the camp and uh, what he's observing with Karstark and all of that. So I think he is trying to goad Catelyn into just like ending this quickly and maybe even in so doing weakening the Starks somehow uh, by like having that be the way that it was carried out could potentially damage the, um, the the politics here at the Stark camp and that could be a benefit to his sister so there's a lot of things that could be that could be happening here including uh, Rob the very first meeting ever between Jamie Lannister and Brienne of Tarth two yeah. characters who are going to be very much interwoven in the future there's a couple of lines that he has that I really just laughed out loud when he first sees Brienne he's like is that a woman yeah yeah uh he's really mean he's really mean about brienne here he's gonna continue to be very mean about brienne through season three through much of season three anyway uh i forgot i'd forgotten that he was uh that that jamie was freed uh with quite so much time to spare in season two though i guess it really isn't a ton of time to spare considering one episode is going to be completely devoted to one storyline in particular so like every other storyline that isn't King's Landing and Stannis uh, only has two episodes left this season. Yeah, I do think it's interesting, though, but that Jamie does not want to try to kill himself. Like there's no mention to Alton of like, hey, get me in a chokehold, you know, that he seems resigned to his fate, but he definitely wants some sort of a, you know, uh, death at the hands of his enemies as opposed to doing anything to potentially injure himself. Yeah, I don't think that he wants to do that. Uh, I think also it would be difficult for him to do that with his hands tied behind his back. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I'm not really sure the mechanics of what he'd bang your head into a pole, I guess, enough times. It's very tenacious. Uh, (laughs) Jamie Lannister is a warrior. I just don't know how that all works out. So I think that, you know, he is, I think, looking at this as like the fastest option uh, to just like get out of here. Uh, And I think that he, you know, after his escape attempt, probably figures it's a pretty hopeless situation. But it's just interesting with this story where we have like this certain understanding of events where Jamie is like almost gloating about killing the Mad King here or is gloating about killing the Mad King king here and you know cat is talking about like what a horrible guy he is and then he's bringing up everything with ned and how ned cheated on cat and brought home some whore's baby and you know as we are in uh, the current timeline we know like oh well mad king actually was a bad guy jamie lannister pretty heroic thing that he did there probably should gloat about that and ned solid guy never cheated yeah, never. He was a solid guy. Uh, and the other thing, too, is like this is this is something that they do with Jamie from time to time. And there were there was that scene in the throne room in the in the Red Keep in season one when Ned shows up and Jamie and him kind of have the debate about like, what if I hadn't stabbed him in the back? Wouldn't that have been so much worse? And like Ned is not willing to hear it. And here is Catelyn, who already earlier in this episode, uh, Jamie had that line of something to the effect of 
of like, there's no more fish in you. You're all wolf. You know, you, you've really taken to the Stark way and that rigidity that is uh, so prevalent within the Stark line of her just like seeing things in black and white and not being willing to even entertain the notion that maybe what Jamie did in becoming the Kingslayer was a heroic thing. Maybe he actually saved a ton of people by doing what he did. Um, and I think that you see that frustration here now, especially this is potentially the end of his life. And he's once again having to defend himself on something that he felt needed to be done and something that he feels he has been unfairly maligned for for uh, for so long ever since. So that's something that the show has set up really, really well. And it pays off very beautifully in season three when we'll get to that scene uh, where Jamie and Brienne share a bath together. And he's very vulnerable because he's all uh, he's all messed up from losing the hand. So can't wait to get to that. That's a really, really terrific scene. Nikolai Castro is just fantastic as this character. And I think that that helps add to the frustration when the show doesn't write him very well. And that does happen from time to time. But just in terms of the performance alone, he's a spectacular Jamie Lannister. Uh, we end up back in King's Landing that Sansa has a moment with the Hound before he ultimately ends up seeing her bed. And he she thanks him for saving her. Yeah. And he's like, eh, don't really thank me. It's just kind of what I do. I like to kill people. There's really nothing sweeter than killing people. Uh, you should try it. Be a great thing. Killing is the sweetest thing there is. Yeah. And uh, really bragging about that. Do you feel like that the hound still feels that way, Josh? I don't. I don't. I don't think that he thinks it's the sweetest thing there is. Uh, I don't know if he even really fully believed it then. I think that uh, the hound is a very damaged uh, trouble. What does he like now? Eating chickens? He loves chickens. I think chickens is probably number one. I think that's got to be number one. Uh, Maybe killing the mountain will be the sweetest thing there Mm. is if he ever is lucky enough to have that shot. The the other line that I thought was uh, that stood out to me was you'll be glad of all the hateful things I do one day when you're queen. Uh, And if he had just ended it there instead of and I'm all that stands in the way between you and your beloved king. But I just like you'll be glad of the hateful things I do one day when you're queen because I am a Sansa fan. I do believe that Sansa is the queen in the north will be a great ending spot for that character if the show chooses to go there. And I love the idea of of Sandor Clegane having some semblance of redemption and serving uh, serving the queen in that capacity, I think would be fantastic character growth for both Sansa and Sandor Clegane. So I hope that this comes back around at some point in the future. Yeah, by the way, uh, we get a little bit of the Mountain 2 in this episode and Mountain 2 sucks. Mountain two is the worst mountain for sure. That's it's really not even a conversation that's worth having. Uh, one thing that I did like in uh, in this scene in Heron Hall, I believe that Tywin uh, Tywin is studying the poison dart uh, that has uh, killed. Yeah, Wolfsbane. Do you know who Wolfsbane is? Is he a Batman villain? No, you're not terribly far away without having any sort of clue whatsoever. Wolfsbane is a comic book character. Wolfsbane is uh, she. Uh, she is a part of the X-Men side of the Marvel Comics universe. And Wolfsbane is about to be in a movie from Fox uh, called The New Mutants coming oh. out in uh, 2019. Do you know who uh, is going to be portraying Wolfsbane? Wolfsbane by hmm. any chance is it 
the actress who plays Quaith. <laughs> well, it's not the actress who plays Quaith, but our bonkers theory that Quaith could be an older Arya Stark uh, could could bear that out ever so slightly. Macy Williams oh. will be joining the X-Men Cinematic Universe in the New Mutants as Wolfsbane. And I just thought it was very funny that Tywin Lannister is talking about Wolfsbane in front of Wolfsbane yeah. several seasons, several years before she truly becomes Wolfsbane. Okay. Well, how about that? How's that for a wolf explanation? <laughs> that's that's very good. Right, well, let's talk about Jean Grey for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and so she has a scene, uh, Sansa, of course, uh, with Cersei, and uh, you know we re- some really uh, fun stuff here going on in terms of how uh, Sansa is talking about how she's going to. Uh, re- she loves Joffrey. She can't wait, and Cersei talks about how you know you may never love the king, but you will love. His children, and we know how much Cersei is going to care about uh, her three children. That she will lose all of them in this series, and really uh, paints a picture of how she has nothing left in the season seven timeline. Yeah, I think that again, uh, the show does such a great job with really letting you know what matters most to Cersei. Like, she, note that she doesn't even say Jamie in there. You know, she does. She, she talks about him in a very positive light, and that he was there for me in the birthing room. Uh, Joffrey will show you no such devotion, but she says, uh, you know, the more people you love, the weaker you are. And she says, love no one but your children. On that front, a mother has no choice. Doesn't mention Jamie. At all. And I think that you're seeing that in this uh, in this most recent season, in the penultimate season of Game of Thrones, where Cersei is often um, really dismissive of Jamie, does not, you know, almost, you know, threatens his life at one point, doesn't follow through. Uh, but I think that that's fascinating. And I think that the show does really make it so clear that Cersei's number one priority above all else are her children. And if not for her children, the thing that she would prioritize above all else is herself, which is exactly where it ends up going. Uh, anything else from John and you grit, Josh? Um, anything from John and you grit? I mean, I really do think like that question of is she trying to recruit him or is she trying to just like lead him into a trap? I think uh, is an interesting one. And especially because we know that John is going to infiltrate the wildlings, not terribly long from now and uh i think that's going to be in the finale is when that fully happens we get our first you know nothing john snow yeah that was good that was great obviously egret's final lines uh her her most famous catchphrase you know nothing john snow uh love that great to see that loving having rose leslie back on the show she's so great as this character yeah she's really great at just negging john snow into oblivion (laughs) into oblivion for sure okay All right. And that's it for A Man Without Honor. And uh, now we're really in the home stretch here. Episode eight coming up next for season two. Episode eight coming up next. The Prince of Winterfell. We're going to see the Lord of Bones next week. Remember the Lord of Bones? Mm -hmm. Uh, There's probably going to be some more terribly annoying things happening in Karth. Mm -hmm. Bet we're going to be building up towards the battle at the Blackwater Bay, uh, which is going to be the big penultimate episode of Game of Thrones season two. So a lot more set up along the way as we are figuring out what's going on there. And of course, we'll, we'll find out very quickly that Brandon and Rickon are uh, they're OK. They're all right. Yes. For now. Everybody relax. 
Rickon is okay. He is completely safe and sound. He will go on to live his life for another couple of years before having a pointless death during is- the Battle of the <laughs> Bastards. So he's yeah, fine. He's I remember fine. It being a very pointy death. Yes. Yes. He's fine. The Rickon is stop worrying everybody. He's fine. He's gonna he's okay. he'll go he'll be on the screen like two more times and then just die for no reason. Okay, everybody relax. He's fine. It's probably like six more times would mm-hmm. be uh mm-hmm. some somewhere in that ball. Everyone in uh in that storyline except for Bran, they're all dead. Yeah. Everyone's dead. They all die in season six, too. They like take a, you know, Rickon and Osha, they leave in season three and you never see them again until like right before they die. Bran sits out uh, of season five and so does Hodor. And then they bring Hodor back just to kill him. Pretty brutal. And I guess uh, I remember that the the Throner results for that year were was pretty decisively anti this storyline. And uh, the show responded in kind. Hey, they got further than Jack and Billy. That's true. Oh, R.I.P. Jack and Billy. R.I.P. Jack That's and really Billy. That's really so messed up. Really so messed up. Yes. Okay. Josh, uh, do we have a hashtag for this episode? I just wanted it to be Agrocrag, but I'm sure Agrocrag <laughs> is in use. By a lot uh, of people, to, I'm sure. I'd love to get people's memories of guts. You know, Michael yeah. Malley has gone on to do so many great creative things. Uh, survivor's remorse. Mm-hmm. He is villain unjustified. Yeah. What happened to Mo though? We don't know. We don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so you want the aggro crag to uh, make it come back? Can you bring it back? Let's see if we can bring it back. Bring bring back the crag. Bring back the crag and stop and get some milk and a poppy on the way. All right. So uh, that's going to do it for us here today. Next week, we'll be back with our episode eight recap from season two. If you haven't checked it out over on Post Show Recaps, that if you're a fan of the Black Mirror, uh, which stars uh, such uh, Game of Thrones alumni as Maester Lewin, uh, Osha, uh, we've seen uh, Braun uh, grace the screen of a Black Mirror. If you want to. Yeah, yikes, that episode. Yikes. Yeah. We did a countdown of the best episodes of season four. We ranked them, myself, Jessica Lees, Mike Bloom, and AJ Mass, and you could hear our results on that podcast up on Post Show Recaps. Of course, uh, lots of Star Trek Discovery recapping going on as well, all on postshowrecaps.com. You can follow Josh Wiggler on Twitter. He's at Round Howard. I'm at Rob Sussman. Josh, anything else? That's it. All right. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.